Good morning, Father Anthony. Good morning, Father Harrison. <laughs> well, it's afternoon for you. Yeah, but don't we, aren't we not supposed to say good morning on the podcast? Isn't that like a podcasting rule that you don't say what time of day it is because people could be listening to this on their drive home from work and they're like, oh, it's not morning. Yes. And they get confused and angry and lost. They right. go back to work because they think it's morning because of our podcast. Chaos ensues. Right, but that's why I wasn't addressing our listeners. True. I was addressing you. Right. I just feel like the principle's the same. <laughs> but anyway, good morning. Good, it's This is a weird time. We usually don't record in the mornings, but uh, it worked out today. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's actually great. I'm still, I'm in uh, I'm in my comfy comfy morning wear and my, my coffee, big mug of coffee going. I'm ready, <laughs> that I'm ready is to a pot- huge mug of coffee. That's like a pint of coffee you have mm-hmm. in your hand. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. amazing. It was a gift. It's you know, If you see there. Uh, there's an uh, image of uh, hands being laid on a hand on the head of a guy for ordination. You it have was, a giant ordination mug. It was a it was it's actually a beer mug, right? So, yeah. but I use it for coffee. You see, the, <laughs> you use the most the two most essential drinks of life are used are the same mug is used. Wow! It was it was a gift for me for my ordination uh, when I was ordained a priest uh, four and a half years ago. So, yep. my Nespresso machine has two. Two pod sizes. It does a seven ounce and it does a fourteen ounce. Oof. So this is the fourteen ounce. Yeah, I'll do so it. So this this mug works perfect. It's great. This is, this is kind of awkward, but I have in front of me a tiny espresso cup. <laughs> right, it just means you're a wimp. What? It just means I like espresso. I like espresso too, but I mean, I, I obviously have the bigger mug, therefore I win. You know, can we can we talk about this just for a second? Because sometimes people who really like espresso will will dump on uh on drip coffee but there's something really nice about having like just a mug of drip coffee it's a different experience i think yeah. both are valid they are both valid sometimes you just need that little quick hit right and that's what the the little espresso is for and sometimes just that slow uh that slow intake it, as you're kind of waking up in the morning, it just, exactly. it's just perfect. So It's also just the experience of drinking a warm drink in the morning, which is so delightful. Especially now that falls around here. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but uh, it felt like it went from August felt like it went from, or the, the transition from August to July to September felt like it went from July to November. Yeah. There was no September this year. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like fall. I'm like, what? <laughs> Leaves are falling at the beginning of September. So anyways, as you wake up at the morning now, it rains a lot here just, uh, during the fall and winter. So mm-hmm. it's raining. It's cloudy. Nothing better than a nice hot cup of joe. But uh, this week I uh, I went to our, our Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, and I so what I'm trying to do this year, I'm trying to streamline my whole, all my schedules because I can't do everything. And so that way I can be more available for parishioners and for needs, but also working with my, my doctoral work. By the time this podcast airs, I'll start my doctoral work. Or So I'm just trying to so anyway. So what I'm doing now, we have mass once a month at the school for the whole school. And so what we're doing now is I have mass at the school. Uh, then I have time to meet with the principal. And then I do back to back. I do the primaries all at once and then the intermediates all at once. Mm-hmm. And we're doing, I have seven of those occasions this year. So I'm like, well, that's a pretty nice number to talk about the seven sacraments with the kids. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Yeah. And I tweeted a little bit about this because I thought this is really interesting. We we talked a little bit about this on our podcast about modern, we talked about this a lot about the podcast on modernism. Yeah, yeah. um, About how things aren't mediated, right? So, but I just asked the kids, I said, well, if you want to know what the surface of a tape, table is like how do you know what it's like well, they say you touch it i said yeah how do you know i'm here right now well, they say i can see you and i can hear i'm like good what yeah. how do you know the scent of a rose will you smell it how do you know uh what different flavors are that with ice cream they say well you taste it i said yeah so we know things by seeing smelling tasting hearing and touching I'm like yeah i'm like well, that so I was using that as my little inroad to say that that's how we come to know things, and that right. if that's the case, then if God wants to talk to us and communicate Himself with us, He needs to speak in that way as well. Yeah, right, because that's how He created us. Exactly, and that was kind of my inroad to talking about sacraments with the kids. Um, but what was really interesting with it all was simply that kids innately know. There's a fancy philosophical term for this. It's called epistemology, the theory of knowledge. Yeah. Kids 
innately know just by virtue of their own experience how we know things and despite what modernity says despite all that stuff you look to kids and they'll tell you this is how you know things and it's kind of it was just kind of cool it was a neat little experience to see you know hey kids are really smart you just have to ask them the right questions at their level yeah but also but it's not like an innate thing that they know like before experience but this is this is their judgment based on their experience very quickly yeah yeah, it was just a neat experience this week, so I just thought it was kind of a neat thing. No, it's good. Like, yeah, and yeah. something about like to get to like the Cartesian idea of of mm-hmm. things, and you you have to think yourself into it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's there's something like uh, almost anti, I don't know, human about that sort of thing. Exactly. Where you refuse to acknowledge the reality around you. So and yes. kids aren't going to do that. They're just going to tell it. Yeah. They're just going to tell it like it is. Um, b- before I introduce the podcast, by the way, because I forgot to do this last week, is mm-hmm. uh when we did our Casper Ratzinger episode, see, I made perhaps a bit too much of a correlation between Casper and the German bishops. Okay. Okay. So after that episode, uh, someone asked me to write an article on it. So hopefully by the time this is released, it'll be published uh, about that debate and the synod problems right now. And as I was reading, rereading all this stuff, I realized that Casper actually comes around a lot to what Ratzinger has to say. Hmm. And, it, it's also actually been revealed that Casper actually had a hand in advising the Pope in his letter to the Germans in June. What a twist. What a twist. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, anyways, I just, so just as a little correction, uh, I was perhaps a little too strong in equating Casper with the German Bishops Conference right now as it stands. Father Harrison, there is we, a, there's, yes. we don't do corrections on this podcast. Okay, what do we do? You offered a clarification. Mm. It's not like you were wrong, but you're just but I was clarifying wrong. your points. But I was wrong. Okay, fine. Be I was wrong. I, I I I made too much of an equation. Mm-hmm. I was re- I was finishing listening to it yesterday. I'm like, yeah, I gotta I gotta I gotta correct that. There you go. That's important. Cool. So I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony, and this is clerically speaking. Yeah. How are you so doing? How are you I'm doing? doing great. At the time of recording, later today. Dave, the hammer without the sickle, Van Vickle, will be coming to my parish <laughs> to give a talk on... So he's um, not a communist. Exactly. Um, I'm totally stealing this from uh, one of my other That's favorite podcasts, great. Every Knee Shall Bow, and giving okay. uh, Dave a, a little, little little title there. But um, So yeah, um, Dave, uh, he's helped out with um, exorcism ministry in the past uh, as a layperson, helping out not actually doing the exorcisms. Lay people can't do great. that. But he's running around giving talks about um, exorcism, ghosts, demons, hauntings, and the Catholic truth about these things. So I booked him for my parish. I also booked him for my college, too. Oh, so nice. he's, he's showing up tonight, and I think it's really important. Because he's in your diocese, right? Yeah, yeah. He's um, just down the road, and by down the road, I mean like 45 minutes away. Uh, he works at one of our parishes. Um, I've worked with him in the past. He's a great guy, great speaker, uh, so I'm excited to have him. And I think it's important because... With all the stuff going on in my parishes, you have you know, seven parishes yeah. and all these changes, and it can be easy to kind of lose focus um, of the greater spiritual battle that we're fighting because mm-hmm. you're focused on the religious education program is changing, the, the hymnals are changing, um, we have new priests now, we don't know what's going to happen with our church buildings, and all these stuff become these little battles, and I mean, that's something to be discussed, and that's important, but if we lose sight of the greater spiritual battle, then... Um, you know, we're letting Satan, Satan win, especially mm-hmm. because with all this stuff, it's so easy to enter into divisions and camps in the parish, and that is like a primary tool of the enemy. So I'm looking forward to having him come in. Uh, the talk's always fun. Every, everyone likes talking about this stuff and listening mm-hmm. about this stuff. So, but it's important to know the truth. So I'm getting excited for that. Nice. And then, uh, later, I have my my office hours at the college, and yeah. uh, I've been complaining on Twitter for weeks for weeks that they would not give me a Wi-Fi password. Well, how can a fake college give you a Wi-Fi password? It's a real college. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so last year, I asked maybe once or twice for a Wi-Fi password. Each time I got the same answer. Because you're not an employee, we can't give you an account, and that account would have the password. And then I asked again this year, and the same answer. But once I took to Twitter, once I used my incredible Twitter power, now I'm going to get a password. They could make you an employee. They could pay like $1 a year. Right. But I think they're just, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. 
Like, there's no way the accountant system or whatever, or Paycor or yeah. whatever the heck they have, there's no way that's directly connected to their um, internet account system. It can be. There's no way it is. Yeah, it can. No. That's so yes. dumb. And <laughs> proof that it's not, unless they're paying me $0, they're just giving me an account, right. a, uh, an email address. So, like, I'm a little bit annoyed, but also, you know what? I'm not going to complain too much because I'm going to get my password, which is so important because, you know, um, for two hours of office hours every week, um, sometimes students come in, sometimes they're too busy, and I need time to work on stuff, to work right. on notes for Clerically Speaking, to read right. terrible books that we're going to review in a little bit. Um, oh, wait, you, you, you do notes? I do do notes. Oh. Not, not, not last time, but sometimes I do yeah. notes. I've shown you my <laughs> notes. You've seen them. I, ha I have no notes today. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I'm excited for that. It's a good day. Uh, and uh, yeah, Parish Life goes on. Nice. Uh, quick question when going back to your exorcism stuff. Yeah. Have you seen The Exorcist? I have. I saw it once. I will never see it again. Oh. I can't do scary movies. I can't it's do not, it. But it's not a it's not a horror film. Are you are you, okay, okay. You kay. can you can you can define it any way you want. If you say that movie isn't terrifying, I I don't It's ter it's a thriller, it's not a horror film. It scared the living yeah. crap out of me when I saw it. Okay. I don't want to see it again. I'm Would sure it's will, great. I'm sure do you it's have, great. Do you have strong enough memories of the film? Yeah. So strong enough that I'm, I, I know I'm, I'm now bringing this onto the air for everyone to hear. Would you be willing to talk about this for our All Saints era-ish oh, episode? Idea. That's such good content. It's such good content. And I, would wa I will watch it again because I love that film and I watch it every year. You don't have to watch it. That's fine. I'd be willing to watch it for the sake of the podcast. Oh, wow. I will be keeping all of my lights yes. on for the for an entire week. <laughs> to be fair, I'll probably yeah. leave my lights on too for at least a couple nights. So you're thing, not alone. Like when it comes to like that kind of stuff, like I'm not worried about all of a sudden demons attacking me because right. I watch a movie. But like, like I freak myself out. That's the most difficult thing whenever I do like uh, no, house that, blessings or a few times yeah. I've, I've done this kind of a uh, little bit of this ministry is I end up like totally freaking myself out and becoming paranoid. And one way to avoid that is I just don't watch those movies well, anymore. And, and that's fair. I, I think but I think that's why it's such a terrifying film is that it actually speaks to the depths of our psyche. Mm -hmm. And then we like we just innately recognize there's something real about all of this. Yeah. And that's terrifying. Because it puts you in, yeah. And anyways, you don't have to watch. That's fine. I'm not saying you have to watch. I'm just saying. But would you be willing to have a discussion about it? For the, I think that'd for be a episode? great idea. I think people would like that. I will rewatch it. I'll take the lead on that one. And yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, now I don't know. Did did uh, did Saint Thomas ever do exorcisms? I don't know if he ever did exorcisms, but I'm sure demons were terrified of him because of his. Well, holiness. he did have to exercise the water for baptisms, and I'm True. almost certain he did baptisms. Absolutely. It's the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. We talk of Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. The Summa Theologica is St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology, and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. First up, we both we both uh, put this one in the DM. Yes. From Tommy Ty, at the GH is silent. My dearest, please. Now this, just first, a little preamble. I, this is another one of those recurring Twitter themes that comes up often. Yeah. But it's worth addressing once in a while. Mm -hmm. My dearest priest, please, please give us penitence, a clear, measurable, and specific penance in the confessional. I understand how say X numbers of prayers doesn't feel personalized, but penance is like do something nice for someone in need is crazy making for a lot of us. And he's dead right. And I mean, even the ritual books are very clear about this, that you have to give someone, you have to give them something that's clear and doable mm -hmm. and definable. So I get where you see penance is often meant to be medicinal, yeah. right? So 
there's two things. First, folks, we do complain about, oh, Father just told me to say three Hail Marys. Sometimes it's because, listen, for whatever reason, we can't think of anything more medicinal. And there's nothing, and there's always medicine in saying a Hail Mary. Right. Right. So don't freak out about that. Sometimes, and sometimes we're just like, hey, do I, I got nothing for you right now. Well, for whatever reason. But like, there are some times where a priest will give a more personal thing. And I do agree with Tommy saying something like, do a nice thing for someone is way too vague. Yeah. I would say something like, are you married? Or hopefully they'll tell you that at the beginning of confession, but still it's like, okay, you're married. Um, what's something that your wife always appreciates that you do for her? And maybe they'll say, oh, she appreciates it when I just kind of do the dishes without asking. Okay. Next time there's a meal, just get up and do the dishes right away. Yeah. That's, that's clear. It's the final. It's doing a nice thing, but it gives you a clarity to do something like, like it gives you a path to do something right or because when you're just saying do a nice thing it's like well I, I i gave my child a dime that that's nice is, is that it is that sufficient right and i can see how it could be crazy making for people yeah yeah i agree and i'll do the same sort of thing if i'm doing something a little different i will uh work with the person to figure out how to make the penance more concrete mm-hmm. so one thing i've been doing a lot of we have a perpetual adoration chapel at one of nice. our uh, church sites yeah. so i'll ask them do you know where it is have you been there before? Is there some time this week you can spend a half hour at the chapel? And if they hesitate, I'll, I'll push them like, yes or no? Because if it's no, I'll give you something else. But if you can do this, I think this is an important thing for you to do. Right. Another, another thing that sometimes people don't realize is that you can ask the priest for a different penance. Yep. So if you don't think you can complete the penance, or if you think that, or you're confused by the penance, ask the priest to clarify or try mm-hmm. something else. Yeah. You know, um, and don't do it just because like, like if for some reason you really don't like saying Hail Marys, like you should say the Hail Mary then. But if it's something right. confusing or like there's no way I can get to this this week or whatever. Right. Um, then, you know, talk to him about it and work with him with it. So what I've realized in all this is Father Anthony gives out hard penances. Half hour in the Adoration Chapel. Oh, that's not. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> it seems that way. Right. You know, because like, oh my goodness, I have to do the thing. But like, I'm just telling you to go rest with the Lord. And I t- I'll yeah, tell them, yeah. like, you can just sit there for a half hour. You can yeah. read a Bible. You can read some spiritual yeah, reading. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. But like, if we're really intent on not just confessing our sins and going through a car wash, if we're really intent on our lives being converted, you need to take concrete steps toward that. Yeah. And if you're not praying, a good way to start is just to go and sit before the Lord in the chapel. And if people yeah. say no, then I come up with something else, and that's fine. Yeah. But that's really, people can find a half hour in their week. They can. Most people. Unless you have, like, nine kids. Right, 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 right. But even, like, I've, I've talked with people who have, like, a lot of families. Uh, not a lot of families, a lot of kids. And, like, I can you? And they say yes, and then it's good. Uh, or sometimes they will uh, – <laughs> it's tough, but I know that there are families – in yeah. my old parish, there's family, um, homeschool family for the most part, um, classic, um, he drove around a huge van and everything, mm-hmm. and the mom would just bring all of her kids to the Adoration Chapel. Uh, so not everyone can do it, but it's worth uh, exploring that. But yes, yeah. penances should be concrete to make you so that the penance isn't driven crazy. Yeah. Cool. What do you got? Ooh, okay. So this one's going to be tough. Um, this is from Gloria Purvis, at Gloria underscore Purvis. Yeah. And she says, I will fight to the death against this nonsense. Accepting this approach is not making our church more welcoming. It makes our church not Catholic. And she's uh, screenshotted right, a tweet that says, calling priests father is offensive to trans Catholics. We must use other more LGBT affirming names like parent. So... I'm not sure if we want to go all into this issue, but I think that, I mean, the obvious problem with, with this idea is that, I mean, just on the outset, if certain people want to be called certain things, that's one thing, but then demanding that you be called something different seems mm-hmm. incredibly hypocritical, right? Mm-hmm. Like I consider myself a father. Okay. Uh, that's how, you know, just using the, the same language, I identify as father. And to, like, force someone else to change not just how they speak to you, but how you should see yourself seems all kinds of weird and goofy. Um, and this goes back a little bit to, I think we mentioned it maybe on the last podcast when we were in the Summa, 
that male and female, these are good things. And the body is a good thing that God has given us. And to mess with that in this way and these identities in this way is going to be ultimately harmful for the person. So there. And it's when we're what's going on in general with the whole um, transgender ideology at the moment too, is we are, when you remove titles like mother and father, you're actually, you're removing the distinction of the sexes, sexes and you are removing something that is inherently visible in the body, right? Like yeah. it's, we're, we're made male and female. And that there is something unique to fatherhood and that there's unique to mother, that there's something unique to being a woman and there's something unique to being a man. These things are essential and cannot be, um, they can't be dismissed, right. especially for a Catholic. If a Catholic were to say, we're never going to talk, it's getting back to that whole, um, that little thing that was really popular for a while. We'll baptize you in the name of the creator, the redeemer, and the sanctifier oh, to avoid yeah. to avoid parental images and stuff like this. It, it, it's, it's the same thing. And it's like, we have, do we take the revelation of God seriously? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. if I don't, that's fine. Then don't be Catholic. Yeah. There's no one's going to, you're not going to be struck down with lightning. You you might, you might end up in in a worse place, but who knows? I mean, I'm not saying, sorry, I'm not saying that person's going to hell, but uh, we have to be serious about what God has revealed. You can't be welcoming and sacrifice the truth because then what are you welcoming, welcoming the person into? If we really believe that the Catholic faith yeah. is true, that Christ mm-hmm. is who he says he is, revealed what he said he revealed and showed he revealed to sacrifice that for the sake of welcoming what are you welcoming welcoming them into right yeah you know exactly becoming catholic and being a member of the church means that you're being transformed by christ more and more Mm -hmm. into his image yep yeah exactly all right so this is from emily the embryo incubator at emily cath 319 it's a bit of a thread but i'm actually going to read the thread because i think it's important so anyway, I was listening to Archbishop Sheen's autobiography, Treasuring Clay. At one point, he was talking about how mid-century, pra- how mid-century practice of faith was tied up with a very bourgeois mentality and lifestyle, his words, not mine, of attaining material goods and, successes, and success. And he speaks of why this is, why a, lot of young, why a lot of the young rejected the trappings and good of tradition, because for them... They were raised on the belief that religion was merely an incidental of the good life, of bourgeois consumption, not anything deeper. Mid-century American consumption and success among Catholics was very different from the impoverished faith of their immigrant ancestors. The Polish father working 16-hour days in the mines and giving any leftover money to beautify the parish was gone, and that was about indulging oneself. We ask a lot about what has led to the downfall of the practice of faith and of the reality, and that the reality is there are a lot of factors, including, unfortunately, a shift from happily subsisting on faith to a capitalistic, keeping up with the Joneses mentality focus on having things. Mid-century America, then, ultimately replaced the church with the market, a market which is innovative, focused on the novel, being progressive to increase profit margins. Is it any wonder tradition was abandoned for a church that was innovating and focused on novelty? That's the thread. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, and it's a good one. Yeah, I really, I always, cause we we've touched on this here and there, but yeah. I, I, it, I requires constant exploration of what was going on before the Second Vatican Council, mm-hmm. and it's much more complicated than I think a lot of average Catholics give it credit for, and a lot of times there's this instinct to just vilify those who um, destroyed our traditions, uh, and I'm not saying that destroying the traditions was right. Mm-hmm. Or even uh, not, not destroying, but just avoiding them, hiding them, whitewashing them. All that stuff was wrong. But it's important to understand why that was going on. Once so we don't make the yeah. same mistakes in a different way. Uh, but also, it, these people are still around, and we need to evangelize them as well. And if you want to bring back the traditions of uh, the church, these little T traditions that help us dive deeper into um, the faith, then you have to understand why they were uh, abandoned in the first place and what yeah. was going on there. And yeah. it might not have been malicious. It might have just been a misunderstanding because of right. the forces and things going on at the time. So I, that's a 
fascinating Twitter. I really like that. Yeah. So I have a few thoughts on this. I think one of them is something I tweeted about, um, quote tweeting the thread, is the church must always be a leaven to culture and not be too quick to get in bed with a certain culture. Yeah. She always has a certain, the church's life, there's always, um, there is always this ability of the church to kind of not depend on any one culture. And when you get too dependent on the culture, that, that happens, that, that brings bad things for the church. Like the, in a way that the church actually has a certain aculturalism to her. That's uh-huh. why she's able to be in Africa and North America and China and et, et cetera, right? Um, but the church's role is not to get in bed with, but rather to be a leaven to a society. Um, and it seems to me like, because it's very interesting, like even if you talk to people who are in, in this age range who kind of were just growing up at this time or whatever, and these are the people who were children at this time in the 40s and 50s, um, they still go to church because what you're supposed to do. But if you ask them, well, what's the point of life? Well, as long as you have a good family, you're happy, you, you know, you have, you have these successes of life then that's the good life. And I'm like, that's not the Christian vision. No. Like that, that's the bourgeois market idea of the good life. Um, it's not, it, there's a contentment that is, uh, that kills the soul really. And it, it's, it, it seems that the church or at least culturally as a church, I should say is maybe a better way of putting it mm-hmm. was too quick to adapt a Western market-based view of culture. Yeah. And it killed her. Mm-hmm. Well, this it, gets back to, this yeah. gets back to something John Paul II talks about in Centesimus Annus. It's very interesting because a lot of people like to use it as like a, the great encyclical that promotes free market capitalism. And he said, he does have some positive things to say about capitalism, but he also has some very dire warnings against it too. Mm-hmm. And his big warning is, he talks about uh, having versus being and that it shouldn't be about having more, but it should be about being more. And he says when a, when a culture or society get emphasizes more around having over being, then it kills something essential to being human. And I think that is a perfect descriptor of the 20th century church in North America. We, we, we emphasized having over being. Yeah. And I think another part of that is, it's tough to be it's tough to be persecuted and when you're in a and because catholics were especially mm-hmm. you know the immigrants in, in america uh, there's a history of this yeah uh, so there's that and there's also the really strong cultural force that's in america of this desire like you go to america to become american mm-hmm. i'm not saying that's bad or good it's just a thing but when that takes the form of wanting to be more and more like your neighbor and your neighbor isn't Catholic, you begin to sacrifice some of these Catholic things because, mm-hmm. you know, I've got my cross neighbor down the street and aren't they nice? And they're not, they don't have crosses burning in their front yard. There can be this desire then to like, if I was just conformed a little bit, maybe people would leave me alone or I could be respected and I could be more successful. Mm-hmm. Like these sort of things are, are great temptations when you're living in a culture that isn't Catholic. And also yeah. just to throw out this idea, this has been bumbling around in my head for months now and I need to do more research about it. I think one day we'll do a podcast. But there's a historian, Christopher Dawkins, who has this uh, idea that philosophy is the highest expression of culture. Mm-hmm. So philosophy isn't absolute. It's very much tied to a particular culture. And one of his problems with neo-Thomism was that it was very much tied to this Western culture and it became this very stagnant sort of thing. And right. there is this idea that this is the universal philosophy of the church, and he very much did not care for that sort of thing. He, he appreciated right. the um, kind of the heart of Thomism, which is taking these yeah. other cultures, Greek cultures, and incorporating the good parts and using that. And so right. he was always very anti a complete Thomistic outlook yeah. on things. And when yeah. Who it, whenever, this again? Um, Christopher Sorry? Dawkins. Okay, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And he was, he was a fascinating, he was um, a big-time Catholic. Uh, a, a lot of people talk about the... Um, Catholic literary revival, and you think of Chesterton and Tolkien and stuff, and he's someone who's been forgotten, but I find him uh, right. fascinating. 
and he would do things like his uh, students who were learning um, Thomism, he would always mm-hmm. give them like a book of, of Bonaventure in Latin as a kind of like a little antidote to what was going on there. But something about <laughs> that idea, I think I want to get more into later. But anyway, just there's yeah, some thoughts. That, that, that's a big, that's a big uh, bee in my bonnet that I often like to talk about. So mm-hmm. we can definitely do an episode for that for sure. Cool. Okay, I can't there's believe- There's so much we... more to say to me. Yeah. Go, go yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I can't believe we didn't do this tweet last week. Um, so this is from Union Seminary. Oh, it's so fun. Okay. So we didn't? Oh, I we, guess we didn't. I, I don't think we did. No, because oh I don't remember gosh. it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So this happened a few weeks ago, but it's great. So today in chapel, we confessed to plants. I'm going to say that again. Today in chapel, we confessed to plants. Together, mm-hmm. we held our grief, joy, regret, hope, guilt, and sorrow in prayer, offering them to the beings who sustain us, but whose, li- whose gift we often fail to honor. What do you confess to the plants in your life? And if you think I like misspoke, I'm not. There's a picture of people sitting around all these potted plants, and they're confessing to the potted plants, and it's so fun. I can't be angry about this because it's so silly. It makes me happy. <laughs> do you know what honestly was the most offensive thing to me about that tweet? What? The phrase, what are the plants in your life? Because as people know, mm-hmm. that is the single most hated line in all of preaching that I ever hate to hear. Oh yeah, explain this a little bit. It's just tropey, right? Yeah. I was explaining this to someone last night. I said, let's say I had a burnt pizza in front of me and you went on this whole diatribe about uh, cooking a pizza and everything and then to try and get the analogy of like, what are the things that are, that the good things you put in the life that have gotten burned or whatever, right? And you say, so what's the burnt pizza in your life? What it does, it's, it's cheap, 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 cheap preaching. Mm-hmm. Because it puts no onus on the preacher and all onus on the subject receiving the preaching. Yeah. So that the content is self-determined inside instead of receiving a content from the word. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in other words, it's a lazy trope that uh, can be used to get away from actually preaching properly and well. And I, when I read that, I'm like, ugh. Like that, honestly, like, I mean, like the whole plants thing is just so silly and crazy. It's not, but it's like, I, I just hate that trope so much. And I wish it would, I wish it would look as deathly as some of those plants looked. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I, I just, great. it great. frustrates me. I love it that you me. like focused on that and not the fact that they're using <laughs> liturgy to confess the plants. It really says a lot. Um, I, I don't think that's a negative. I mean, I think, I think the plant thing almost speaks for itself how silly it is. You know what doesn't speak for themselves? Plants. Priests? No, plants. And we need to speak oh, for plants. them. And we need to confess. Yes. Whatever. Yes, um, well, they have they have vegetative souls, Father Anthony. They do have vegetative souls. But that's just... That doesn't mean as much as it sounds like it means. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, Good. that's enough of that. Well, uh, let's go on to presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for... Presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn oh, so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the oh, best part. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Quite. Yes. So I've been reflecting a lot lately, especially we, we talked to, when was it? I think it was in June. I did an episode on loving your people. Yeah. And it's really been something I've been praying about and meditating on and thinking and reading about more and more. It's just kind of been sitting at the back of my mind and for the last few months as I, I'm coming up almost now to two years being a pastor and getting, I'm a few months away from my fifth year anniversary as a priest. So especially the fifth year, that's a, that's a decent milestone. It usually means you've made it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Statistically, you're probably good. Right. right? So <laughs> people don't know, and this was like drilled into me in seminary. Um, that uh, if priests leave, they're most likely to leave in the first five years of their ministry. That's right. Yeah. So it's um, not to say it doesn't happen. I mean, it, we've even seen in the news. It happens at other yeah. times, obviously, too. Right. But yeah. that is the general. And, and bishops are trying to do things to help curb that. So they're encouraging young priests to have fellowship together and to encourage them to make time for that. They uh, in the western part of Canada, every two years for guys ordained six years or less, they have a summer course. Uh, where guys can come together for a week of fellowship to learn a bit, to pray together, uh, to unload about priestly life together and so on. Right. So it's really good. 
Um, in some ways, I think the bishops have been very good generally about ensuring that priests are well formed and well supported in those early years. I don't know. At least that's been my experience. Yeah. I, I may be wrong, but um, so I've been sort of reflecting about this and I want to kind of share some elements of pa- pastoral life. Like what, what, what does, what does pastoral life look like? What ought it to look like? What kind of, um, what are the highs and some of the lows and to share as I trying to journey to develop a pastor's heart. Um, and it's something I think like, it's not just, you don't have to be a pastor to do this. I'm just talking about like, that's my, that's my canonical yeah. title now. Right. It's, it's, it's more generically, this is something any priest should do regardless, you know, even cause you're uh, as a parochial vicar, you're sharing in the ministry of the pastor. Yes. Right. So you should have a pastor's heart too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay. And I wanted to, I, part of this is I want people to understand maybe the other side of things, because I think even for myself and maybe Father Anthony can speak to this for a second too. Prior to being a priest, I had all sorts of ideas of what the priest ought to do, mm-hmm. what the priest should be doing, and why isn't he doing this? <laughs> <laughs> a big part of discerning the priesthood, I, I tell guys this, I'm kind of being not ironic, but if if day after day you see, you go to mass and you hear the priest preaching, you see what's going on in the parish and you say to yourself, I could do better. I think that's that's a little bit of, of data that might mean you actually called this vocation, and so I think I think every seminarian is wants to be a priest in part because they want to be the priest they've been looking for their entire lives. Right. So there's an aspect of that that's good, but there's also their aspect that I definitely had was like you know, even Youthful if pride. I didn't think it like you know out loud so much, like in my heart of hearts I was like I will be the best priest ever and I will right all the wrongs and yeah. So that yeah. that can be the the negative yeah. side of that. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, and that is, these are attitudes I think are just normal. Yeah. And I would hope that at the same time, a guy who wants to be a priest will have the humility enough that as he enters into priesthood, those things will be chipped away very quickly and sometimes very sharply. And he has the humility to accept that because the guy who doesn't becomes stern, um, rigid, in a negative sense like yeah. we, we we use these terms a lot oh he's too rigid or whatever it's like well yeah but sometimes that's actually a bad thing there needs to be a certain flexibility the pastoral life that recognizes the particulars of the situation without keeping people in those particulars right like yeah um so um so one of the things that i used to always think was around things like liturgy uh-huh. <laughs> right well if only they would just do this and only if they would just do that uh you know then everything would be better yeah we hear the common phrase save the liturgy save the world i was about to say that yes (laughs) now as a pastor you can you can do that you can just kind of steamroll through everything Uh and say this is what i'm doing and and say tough it up and suck it up and this is the way it is and i think at the heart of what everything i want to say is are we embodying the exercise of power as Jesus did? Yeah, that's a good question. Right. Because the way Jesus exercises power, it is it has differences, it has subtleties, obviously, but it should always be that. And, G, and I think the principle should be you want to do what you can to get as many people to, to assent to it first. Mm-hmm. There comes a line where you have to say, okay, this is it. Like, I, I, you know, now it's time to, like, like, actually, for example, I think what Pope Francis has been doing, for example, with the German bishops has been this. Yeah. He's trying to, because the thing actually hasn't come to a head yet, he's doing everything he can to get them to just say yes out of their own free will. But mm-hmm. there will come a point for unity of the church. He will have to say maybe, hey, you cross this line. We're going to have an issue. Right. Right. It's the same thing in a parish. You do what you can to get everyone on your side. Yeah. So uh, let me just yeah. say two things about that. Yeah. Because a lot of times the the idea is, you know, I'll just do all these things because they're right. So, like, uh, let's say all the things that Father Harrison, you and I like or, or would like to do, ad orientum, altar rails, um, maybe even receiving on the tongue, all this stuff. You could, you could just plow through and do all that stuff. And you could say to yourself, if 
people don't accept this, and were they ever really part of the church? If people don't accept this and mm -hmm. the truth, and if they don't see this and they leave, well, then sometimes you have to preach these hard truths and enact these hard mm -hmm. truths and goodbye. If that's your attitude, the priesthood for you is this total self-indulgent activity because you've refused to go through the cross of patience. You've refused to go through the cross of gentle care for your people in light of your own ideologies. Mm -hmm. And that is so antithetical to the priesthood. Right. So, you know, indeed, there were times when Christ had to, um, you know, draw lines and be harsh and absolutely all of that. that that's a mm -hmm. thing that, that happened. But if you mm -hmm. take the life of Christ as a whole, you see him being gentle. You see him like he could he sh could and should have thrown out Peter like a thousand times. Mm -hmm. But he's patient with him and continues to teach him, even if sometimes he has you know harsh words for him. So it, it's this thing that bothers me so much is that we can convince ourselves we're being holy when really what we're doing is rejecting a personal cross that for us means patience, for us means listening and getting mm -hmm. to know our people and actually loving them instead of just yeah. loving this fantasy of the church in our in our minds yeah and so like what i've been trying to do is is like for example when i got here i was never a fan of where the priest sat in the liturgy um our ta the tabernacle is not in the center um that's a whole other story but uh the priest was sitting behind the altar oh, directly weird. behind it yeah i never liked that i always felt like it was too much attention on the priest mm -hmm right where the priest in a way is meant to kind of be invisible for the whole liturgy he's not it's not about him it's about the action christ is doing through him right? that's why so, we wear those big fluffy robes to hide exactly the priest. exactly so um so what happened so but i didn't change that for about a year you hear that a lot don't change anything for a year uh and i i think there's actually if there's abuses that's different mm-hmm but generally, it's a good rule. There are little things you can add over time. Like how you celebrate the Mass, that's just going to be the way it is, you know. Uh, but generally, over time, it's just you try to not impose things for a bit. But when I changed it, I said, well, I would like to change this. for." And I explained it to people. Actually, I put a little letter in the bulletin saying, this is what I want to do, and this is why I want to do it. And I explained them, you know the principles of, of liturgical space, etc., what the role of the priest is. And um, and I then I experimented. I put the chair in one spot where I thought would make sense, and I got and I asked people for feedback. I said, "This is experiment. Let's add experimentum for a few weeks. We're going to see how it works." And it didn't work quite well. People had a few issues with it in terms of sight lines and stuff like that. I said, "Okay, that's fair." So I put it up the other spot, and everyone loved it. And then there was actually some nice secondary things about it. So, for example, when people are coming up as Eucharistic ministers at the right point in the liturgy, there's now more space for them up there. And I moved the credence table off to the right side so that all the altar servers can sit there, and the the um, whole sanctuary now feels a bit more spacious, rightfully so, to do it. And no one's complained about it. I had like one person say, I, I, I don't like the, f I, I wish you were still behind the altar. That was it. Sure. And but that's going to happen. That's, that's going to happen. That's fine. Yeah. Right. But that's the thing. I did what I could. I know that everyone's going to be happy. So it, it requires a listening and a patience. Love has a deep patience to it. Yeah. And you want to do what you can. I think this is the other principle I want to kind of get across is you want to do everything you can to get everyone to assent freely to it. Because if you just come in like a bull in a china shop, now here it's a little different. People can't just get up and leave. The closest parish is 45 minutes away. <laughs> but, you know, they might stop going to church. And yeah. It might not be because of them. It's in a way you have as a priest the fault to bear as well for, for doing something without prudence, right? So prudence is always a big thing. So just that idea of, of like listening instruct people too, like actually explain it to them right i had one person complain that well when i put the sat when i put the when i put the credence table aside that's also now where i purify the old credence table wasn't big enough to do any of that out so i do it at the altar so i purify on the side now and one person complained what's he doing going back to pre-vatican II?" and i i just gently said well actually no that actually was not part that actually in the latin mass you purified at the altar Vatican II, or the, the reforms of Vatican II in the liturgy strictly state that you purify at the credence table away from the altar because the purpose of the altar is to offer sacrifice. Mm -hmm. I don't think they like the answer still, but that it was it was just a moment of gentle gentleness, <laughs> right? So that's my well, first I mean, thing. Is, that, yeah. that, that points to a certain thing when, like, you have to, and this is a difficult thing to learn how to do, 
and uh, I still mess up on it sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes what people say is not what they mean. You have right. to be patient and like really have like deep listening skills. Because when that person said, you know, are oh, we going back to pre-Vatican II? Probably what they really wanted to say was like, I don't like the fact that you're changing stuff, and I'm, and that makes me afraid of other changes that I might not like. Right. Right. It wasn't right. about Vatican II. It yeah, was yeah, about yeah. just un- the unknown and change, and that happens yes, so exactly. many times. So yeah. like, you've got to learn to speak to those things um, mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So that's my first thing. It's just when it comes to changes. So it's also then important to understand for your priest. Your priests may actually want to make changes, but and Ratzinger actually speaks to this a bit. He says when the council came after the council and all these radical things happened, it happened in a very authoritative manner, right? Yep. People were just going in, just ripping things out of sanctuaries and stuff like that without any education or anything whatsoever. He says, we don't want to do the same thing. We want to, you have to, you have to bring your people along slowly and you have to listen to them. Right. And you have to, because one of the other things was I wanted to do more adoration in the parish, which we are. I wanted to actually introduce it before weekend masses. And someone kind of resisted it a bit. Someone who I, I quite well, and he, but those, the first, he, he, he challenged me respectfully. Uh-huh. He explained why. He, he, he struggled with it uh-huh. and he gave me a bunch of reasons. And I thought, you know what? Those are fair reasons that right now, this might not be a good idea. Sure. Right. Right now. It's not saying, I'm not, he's not saying adoration is bad or anything. He's just saying right now, it's not a good idea, but that we, we so often just want the priest to come in and say, you just changed all the thing because we actually don't want to involve ourselves in the process. We actually don't, we don't want people's hearts to change. We just want our will to be imposed on other people. And <laughs> folks, that is sin. Mm-hmm. That's the result of sin. And a good pastor will never do that. Yeah. So we, so that's the first thing. Any other thoughts on any of that? I just, it's making me think of a story that just happened the other day. So we have this new combined choir and they're going to move from parasite to parasite. And they're very talented. I mean, they, they are very good. Just um, mm-hmm. the musicians we have, the choir we have, they're genuinely very talented and good. And they're great people. And I love them. Uh, but the music choices that the that the music ministry has been implementing, I'm not a huge fan of. So we're doing these like mm-hmm. spirituals and these gospel type things. And me personally, when I hear those and I look at all of the pale faces in my parishes, I'm thinking like my eyeballs roll out of my head, right? I mm-hmm. do not like this. I do not care for this. It's not my liturgical aesthetic at all. I have other reasons, whatever. I had a meeting for... Um, uh, our evangelization group the other night mm-hmm. and one of the ladies who's in the choir um, was asking oh what do you think of of the music and i mm-hmm. took a deep breath and i said very honestly i'm glad that it helps people in the parish pray yeah. because indeed that was what was going on people were singing and a lot of yeah. times we don't get singing in our parishes right. so i'm like i'm seeing the good that's coming from this and i genuinely like the good but personally, I I struggle with it. But yep. I have to let that part of me die, um, yep. and that's that's like part. And they they laughed because they got it. Yeah. I was able to be honest yeah. with them, you know. And that's yeah. uh, you know, so it's yeah. it's a lot of times you have to deal with all the stuff that's going on in your own heart and what are your yeah. own priorities. So that right. was just a little little bit of that. And also, I'm not the pastor, so I'm like, okay, yeah. this is what we're well, doing. It's interesting actually. So we are we're getting our school to sing at our fourth Sunday masses, mm-hmm. the fourth Sunday of the month mass for the now and. Uh, I was talking to the person who's going to take the lead on it, and, and they know my tastes. <laughs> yeah. Right? And they said, I said, we were just talking, she recognizes that I'm making a sacrifice for, mm-hmm. because I, again, it's about recognizing I want people to be here, but I know that if I want people to be at this certain level, I need to start here. Yeah. Right. I'm not saying this is the end. Like, we actually, I, I, I said, I, I would love to, to go into the practices once in a while to teach kids a very simple plain chant. Because it'll be beautiful and people, and that'll be the thing that people will remember and comment on. She, she agreed actually, right? Yeah. She's like, oh yeah, no, totally. That'd be great. So like though, though, there are ways to kind of piecemeal do things, but it's always, it's a slow, deliberate process. Yeah. And just one more thing, just for funsies. Yeah. So yeah. like part of the thing uh, for the school mass, just sometimes the, the, the dichotomy of when I'm chanting the colics and other stuff I hear. So like, let me just try to chant our intro script. It'd be something like, Please consider donating to our Patreon. Money goes to paying for equipment and podcast hosting fees, as well as paying producer Nick a just wage for all the work he does. And then you've got Ale, 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 yeah. And just that, that, that tension. I know. It, it, I know. Hurts, it hurts my brain. But yeah. anyway, but that's in the grand scheme of things. 
like once again what are your priorities what's going yeah. on in the parish how do you lovingly guide people so anyway yes. i just had to i'm done yeah. with my rants i'm good yeah. i'm satisfied so this second piece is please recognize that the priest has he hears your concern and we need to do our best to listen but to understand that the priest hears your concerns but your concerns aren't always the only thing that he has to deal with yeah right so uh one of the you know we we have a whole whack of pastoral concerns for our parish and and they're all legitimate and they are all real and i want to address them all but sometimes a pastor has to make a decision looking at what is the reality we have to work with what can we do right now mm-hmm. so that maybe we can do that goal not today but in two years and i would hope and i would pray that people would have a certain obedience to say i know i can speak my peace i know the priest will hear me but that in the end what he decides i will help with and i yeah. will i will i will cooperate with i, I most priests have good hearts. Yeah. Okay. Most priests have good hearts. Most priests don't want to go in with an ideology to force one agenda or another. 99% of the priests I know are like this. Okay. So we could all do good for a parish by building up the communion, by supporting the pastor and the decisions he's going to make and saying, Father, what can I do to help? Father, and, and to speak honestly, like... A priest will trust, trust laity more where he knows he can speak honestly with them and they with him. Yeah. But that in the end, the decisions he's going to make is going to, that, that that's what he has to do. And do what? And here's the other thing. Sometimes the priest might make the wrong pastoral decision. Yeah. But that's okay. Because it, in the end, we also have to remember God's grace is the primary thing at work. Mm-hmm. Right? So speak, feel free to speak honestly with your pastor. Hopefully they have a heart that will be open to hearing things, but also recognize their concerns are not just, that one concern is not the only concern he has to deal with, right? You have financial concerns, right? You have elderly parishioners who are dying. You have youth, you have families, you have schools, uh, you have different pastoral priorities of things you want to do in a, that you think are needed in a parish, etc. Mm-hmm. Those are all the things, and you have to try and find your best way to answer all those needs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Third thing is and this is for my brother priests have the humility to recognize when you make a mistake and apologize yes i'll give you an example actually i had made a mistake this week someone was talking this is about our music thing someone was talking to me about it and they were expressing interest in leading things and we were at our school council meeting talking about a school choir and i totally forgot my conversation with this person oh yeah <laughs> it just slipped my mind mm-hmm. i know them well enough that we anyways but i met i i text them right away I said can we meet tomorrow because they heard about all this right and I said let's meet tomorrow right I said I'm sorry this is what I want to do to make things right and we're, we're all good and we had a great conversation right and I was just amazed that just that little act of just saying I'm sorry I know you were even hurt by what had happened and I want to make things better <laughs> can do so much good Absolutely. now some people are going to be hurt sometimes by a decision that a priest is going to make that he can't control mm-hmm. okay but please please brother priests apologize apologize to your people if you haven't been loving them enough apologize to your people if you've been too distant from them right um we need to uh, the pastor's heart also needs to recognize that yes for them you are a priest but with them you are a christian who is a sinner who needs salvation too mm-hmm. right. yeah i'm just thinking i think i've shared this story before but one of the most moving experiences of um uh, my time in seminary was when uh, something had come up in. Um, oh yeah, I, I know what it was. We were yeah. we started to record our liturgies for the radio. Right. And at the time, this really bothered me, and I brought it to um, the rector. I brought it to him at a bad time, and I was very aggressive about it. And he ended up just like yelling at me, and this really bothered me and really hurt me, and a whole whole big thing. But a few days later, he just called me into his office. And he apologized for the way he acted. Right. Uh, but, you know, he said that this is what we have to do. And he gave me the reasons. And he was right. He was absolutely right. You know, and the, the mass is a is a public uh, activity anyway. You know, you can't just insulate yourself. It was a good conversation. But that apology, after that moment, if he told me to jump off a bridge, I would have done it. Because right. he cared enough to apologize to me. Um, yeah. And, like, the decision wasn't changed. But now I knew that he cared enough about me. So yeah. I, I was able to trust his decisions more. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I've, a, <laughs> I, I joked a few months ago, I think, with someone like most of the, 
most of my activity is saying sorry to people, uh, yeah. either things that I've done wrong or you know with everything else to go around the church apologizing for that. But like I make a lot of mistakes. I'm mm-hmm. a terribly disorganized person. Yeah, you know, and I'm uh, I kind of wear my emotions on my sleeve as well, and sometimes <laughs> you know that that uh, that causes problems. Yeah. Uh, so just it's a sign that you really do care and love uh, people, and they'll trust yeah. you more if you do it. And that's the relationship of a family, right? Yeah. People are going to make mistakes, then people might get hurt by those mistakes. And I mean, that's the other thing, though, too, though. Remember, folks, like, especially with our young, people always get, oh, we got a young priest. I'm like, yeah, you don't want that. You want the old experienced priests who know things, who know how to work through things. We younger priests, we're going to make mistakes, and you're the training ground through which we're going to be purified and tested uh-huh. to see if we have a pastor's heart. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it, it, you have to be patient with the young guys. We like for me again. We don't really get a whole lot of training on what pastoral work actually looks like concretely. We get no training on what it means to be a pastor. So you're just kind of thrown in, and you just got to try and do your best. And there's only so much training you could even get. Like I, I'm yeah. sure we could get more, and there's things that are helpful. But like you, part of this part of this gig is you gotta learn by doing. You know. Yeah. 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 Uh, like, how do you learn to be a father? Like, yeah. yeah, there's certain kinds of training and talking to people, getting advice, but you learn by yeah. just like raising a family. So that's yeah, the same thing. Exactly. Um, so in all this, I guess I'm just trying to say that recognize that priests are trying to do their best for the good of the church. Also recognize that when a like priests can't do everything either. One of my homily this weekend was really about that one of the great sadnesses of the last 50 years is that no one discovered the dignity of the laity in evangelizing that that was one of the great teachings of vatican ii that because the laity are in the secular world sorry in this in a secular culture because mm-hmm. secular means world so it's weird to say world world yeah. uh, but in a secular culture um they have the the relationships and the place and the time to actually propose christ to others that the priest will never have but cooperate with that and like the you have a dignity and a role to play in the church and it's a good role and it's an important role but also recognize like your priest is trying to do what he can to build up the body of christ in his role and and he's not ill-willed and he's he's obvious and i think most priests will be honest they'll say you're you're learning your whole life yeah oh absolutely you better be at least um Mm -hmm. But a pastor's heart will always want the good of the others, but they're always trying to take all sorts of considerations and they will hopefully apologize when they've made a wrong. And to say like to, that it's okay for them like to not be hurt if they say, well, I can't do that right now. I'm sorry. Not because they don't think it's a good thing, but they're only one man. Yeah. They are only one man. And uh, people want the priest's presence everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I get that. there is a, There is a real sacramental presence we bring, but... Don't forget your dignity too, laity. You too make Christ's presence by the virtue of your baptism. Mm-hmm. And you too, you could actually probably have an even better role. Because often what I hear is, Father, we need you at this because you're the presence of the church. I'm like, yeah, but you are too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. You are too. And it's like, or we need you to be here more so that you can bring more people to the church. I'm like, that isn't my job. <laughs> my job <laughs> is to pray, govern, and sanctify. And to remember, like, priests, like, pre- there's a whole theology of the priesthood in all this, right? The priests... Uh, have different roles that even like Protestant ministers don't have. Like, you know, I know local Protestants, their, their, their work every week is to do their Sunday service. Mm-hmm. They don't have to govern the parish. They don't have diocesan tasks. They don't have, they don't have to do sick calls and, and look out for their elderly and stuff like this. Like there's all sorts of things that they don't have to do that a priest has to do. Mm-hmm. So, I want to encourage laity as well. Please recognize your dignity, that you too are Christ's presence to the world, and that you too can really bring people to Christ and back into the life of the church. It's not all on the shoulders of the priest. And a good priest, I hope, will encourage and build up his parishioners through good liturgy slowly and a patience, heart, through his preaching, his teaching, his governance, to encourage them to go out, they've been well formed now to go out and bring the gospel so that our parishes can increase and grow again. Yeah, excellent. And there's just one little thing I've just yeah. started doing um, to kind of you know reflect this a little bit is if I'm at someone's house and there's uh, a blessing before meals, I they'll say, "Father, will you pray for us?" I said, "No. How about you pray and then I'll offer a blessing at the end of your prayer." 
That's what I do too. Yeah, I do the exact I, same thing. So like any, any, I've been doing it for meetings as well. Like I'll offer an opening prayer, but at the end I'll ask one of the people to pray, and at the end I'll say, you know, Almighty God bless you, go in peace. At the end, and yeah. I think that's kind of like complementarity of the lady and and the priesthood. Yeah. Like I'll I'll do the thing that you can't do. You know, this yeah. blessing that you know comes from the authority of the church. But right. you also need to realize that like God hears your prayers too. He hears them yeah. just as well as he hears mine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just. There's little ways you can do that too. But anyway, yeah. great. I, I thought this was great. Cool. So, uh, yeah, speaking of which, I have to go off and say mass at a care home. So All thanks right. for listening. Uh, please subscribe and on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts. Please leave us a review and please tell your friends and your enemies because Jesus says we must love our enemies too. You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. You can find me at Father Sharapa. You can find the podcast, Clerically Speaking, on Facebook at ClericalPod on Twitter. Email us, although we're way behind on the emails, ClericallySpeaking at gmail.com. And we look forward to seeing you next week. God bless.